listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Well, today is a historic day for us. Today we begin live streaming our 9 o'clock services. So from this day forward, all of our 9 o'clock services are going to be live streamed around the nation and around the world. So why don't we welcome our live stream audience? Hey, everybody. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're here. Fantastic. We're making history together. And in less than 48 hours, our first book comes out. Notice I said our. It's not my book. It's our book. There's so much that's been a part and involved in the making of this book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. wouldn't be right for me to call it my book. It's our book. It's a dramatic series of events that led to the book's reality, the book coming into reality. Many of you have already begun to read the book because it was pre-released, but this Tuesday it's going to be available at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon, ChristianBook.com, all over the place wherever books are sold. I said our on purpose because this is a book about us. It's not a book about me. I might have been Balaam's donkey, the equivalent of it in the modern day sense. I might have been the mouthpiece for it, the person who went and wrote it. But it's a book about all of us, and it's a book for every single one of us. A couple of years ago, I turned to Janet one day in our kitchen. I remember it very clearly, and I said, I feel like we're pregnant. And she turned to me and said, I do too. Not naturally pregnant, right? We felt like something was happening in our lives, something was happening here that we were excited about. We didn't know exactly what it was. And then not long after that, I felt compelled to write. I had something in me that I had to write. I was compelled. It wasn't something that was naturally coming to me. It was something supernatural. The only problem is I didn't have a place to go to write it. I felt like I needed to be sequestered. I needed to go someplace to write. And I didn't have a publisher, and I didn't have a literary agent. These days, you need a literary agent to get a publisher to get a book out there in the first place. So we began to pray. And we committed the whole idea of writing a book to the Lord. And within a few weeks, probably one or two weeks, a couple from this church, unannounced, not knowing what was going on in our lives as a family, came up to me and said, hey, we have a cabin not too far from here. Have you ever thought about writing? You can go there anytime you want and you can write. I said, as a matter of fact, I'd like to do that. I set the date to go to this cabin to write. I was going to write a book proposal to get a literary agent and a few sample chapters of this book that hadn't yet been fleshed out, and that was going to start the process. Well, after the date had been set to go to this cabin, on my mother's birthday, July 11th, I got an unsolicited email from a live literary agency, which is one of the great literary agencies, Christian literary agencies in the United States. And I was at home, opened up my laptop, read the first half of a sentence, saw who it was from, and gathered Janet and the boys down, began to read this email, which began something like this. We've been watching you. That's kind of a scary thing these days, right? We've been watching you. We've been seeing what you're preaching about. We've been seeing you on television, reading what you're writing, looking at your websites, looking at your app, and have you ever thought about writing a book? I started to cry. My wife started to cry. Read this whole rest of this email, 
responded back and said, as a matter of fact, I'm going away to a cabin in two weeks to write a book. I went away to that cabin, spent six days holed up from morning until late at night. My body was stiff at the end of each day, felt like somebody had strapped me down to that chair. And that became the first draft of what then became the book that many of you are now reading and others are now reading entitled A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. And it's not the kind of a book that you read just yourself, because if you go on Facebook, you'll see many of you are doing it, even if you're not on Facebook, people are buying two, three, four, five, 15, 20 copies, people showing pictures of a, a carton of these books that they're giving out to people, because this is a book that's designed to spark a movement in our nation. It's what it's about. When my agent contacted me, she became my agent, Lisa Jackson, great woman of God. And when we began negotiations with a couple of publishers, we landed with Thomas Nelson. That's the one that we decided to say yes to. I said, listen, I don't want to just write a book. I have no interest in becoming just an author. It doesn't interest me. If I'm going to write a book, I want to make sure that I have a publisher that's going to be on fire for God. I want to make sure that I have an agent that's going to be on fire for God because I'm not going to write a book unless everybody and their mother reads the book. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not going to waste God's time as a cancer survivor. I've got better things to do with my life than to simply write a book. And if I just wanted to write a book, I could have self-published a book and then I'd have about 20,000 copies in my basement right now and be in trouble with my wife, you know, trying to sell these books. But the idea was to write something that the nation could use, something that you could use, something that would revolutionize your life, something that would revolutionize your family, revolutionize a church, and by God's grace, who knows, maybe even revolutionize our nation. I think our nation could use a second American Revolution, don't you think so? Not one that's fought with conventional weapons or nuclear weapons or biological, but the weapons of God's warfare, the weapons that we find in the Bible. You see, courage, the, the title of the book is A Call for Courage. Courage is not something that anybody is born with. It's not. We think that, oh, courage is for a few select people that were endowed specially by God. Padre, Filio, Spirito Santo, endowed by God with some special gift of courage. That's not true. Courage is something that anybody and everybody can develop. When you're willing to be honest with God, honest with yourself, and honest with other people. And that's what the book is about. It's a book about honesty, how you can become honest with God, honest with yourself, honest with other people, because when we begin to be honest before God, when we're, when we're transparent before God, that's when God shows up. That's when the power of God flows through us. You'll never be more filled with the Holy Spirit than when you're honest with God. When you're honest with God, transparent, surrendered to God, God will flow through you and God will show up. And when God shows up and when God flows through you, people's lives cannot help but be changed. Transformation in the world begins with transformation in your world. You know, we can talk about the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only uniquely brought forth son, Jesus, but we need to land the plane. We need to get it from the stratosphere onto the tarmac. The world is composed of your world 
and my world and your world and your world and your world and your world, all of our worlds, the, the people in our families, the people in our neighborhoods, the people in our places of work. And when God changes you, God will begin to change your world, the place where he puts you, where the power of God begins to flow out of you. You begin to say things you otherwise would not say, courtesy of God, because you're being honest with him. You begin to do things you would otherwise not do because you're being honest with God. And you begin to have an impact you would otherwise not have because it's not you having the impact. It's the Holy Spirit having the impact through you because you decided to give up the fight that you would otherwise be having with God, the fight of resistance. You know, we hear a lot about resistance these days, the resistance, hashtag the resistance. But let's talk about the real resistance that is part of human nature that you need to rein in. All of us has a propensity to resist God, but nobody who resists God will ever come out a winner. So stop the spiritual resistance in your life. Surrender to God. Be honest with him. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with people. And you know what will happen in your life? God will show up. And God will begin to change the world because he's changing your world. And when your world changes, guess what? The whole world, the collective, begins to change. And it's courtesy of the Holy Spirit, courtesy of the movement of God that was always on the heart of God, what we've been reading about in the book of Acts, the birthday of the church, that we're a part, we're cut from that same cloth that the early church came to existence through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where you see the believers, you see the apostles being honest with God, even to the point of putting their own lives at risk. They didn't care. They didn't love their own lives. And today we live in a day and age where people love themselves. Me, myself, and I like me. Follow me. Please show me that I'm significant. How many followers do I have? How many likes do I have? You know, you might not be on social media, but we've all been affected by what I call anti-social media on social media. So much of the world today has become about me, myself, and I. We need to regain, and I'm talking about even within the church, even within the church, we need to regain a holy preoccupation with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that the whole universe revolves around the Son, the S-O-N, Jesus Christ. And when your life begins to revolve around the Son, S-O-N, when you begin to be honest with God and honest with yourself and honest with other people, you will begin to see the power of God flow through you like never before. And brothers and sisters, my friends, the United States of America needs to see the power of God like it's never seen before. And if that's going to happen, if that's going to happen, it's going to happen one surrendered life at a time. Do not underestimate your influence for Jesus. You might have spent a lot of time in the course of your life saying, well, God can't use me. What can God do through me? I'm not a Billy Graham. God didn't call you to be Billy Graham. He called Billy Graham to be Billy Graham. He called you to be you. He called you to be true to him, honest to him, with him, transparent before him, honest with people, honest with God. And when you're honest to God, honest to yourself, honest to people, you will see. You cannot see otherwise. You will see God's power show up in your life. People will recognize the hand of God in your life. 
and they will want who you have, Jesus. They'll want that saving relationship with Jesus that you have. How do I know that? Because God's word teaches us that. Look with me at Acts chapter 28 as we continue in our series through the entire book of Acts. Acts chapter 28, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. We're going to see yet again another instance of how God can change a life and change the lives of others when somebody simply surrenders to God. Listen, trust God, leave the consequences to him. Trust God, leave the consequences to him. When you do that, you will see God do supernatural things in the natural course of your everyday environment. It's not about what we're doing for God. It's about what God is doing through us and even despite us. If you will get out of the way and surrender to God, God will take you up on your invitation. Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. Those words are first and foremost spoken to the church. And if you're a part of the church, they're spoken to you and to me as well. But don't we need a real movement of God in our lives at this particular dark time in our nation's history? Don't we need the church to arise at this particular time where men and women, boys and girls, are characteristically filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, walking in surrender to God, being honest to God, honest with each other, honest with themselves. There's so much dishonesty today that honesty is kind of a shocker these days. Transparency, kind of a shocker these days. Well, if you simply will be honest in front of people, honest with who you really are, honest with Jesus first and foremost, You're going to see the kinds of things that we're reading about that we're going to read about right here in Acts chapter 28 happen in your life too. Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. After we were brought safely through, they had a shipwreck. And Paul and Luke and his traveling companions, the 276 people who were on this boat, they land on this particular island. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta, 50 miles off of the coast of Sicily and about 95 square miles. That's how big Malta is. And you can go there today if you'd like to. And uh, the native people, verse 2, the native people showed us, meaning the non-Greek speaking people, the people who were natives to the island of Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, isn't it interesting that Paul is participating? He's a mighty apostle called by God, had visions of Jesus, had heard the voice of God, and he's not sitting there on his backside. He's actually demonstrating service. He's actually helping out. He's contributing. He could have easily just been sitting there and thinking about, well, I'm an apostle. I saw things that these people have never seen in the course of their lives. I'm going to let them take care of this. After all, and he could have dismissed himself and said, well, I'm significant. I'm a nobody. But actually, he rolls up his sleeves and he gets involved and he contributes to the wood that people were bringing for this fire. So he gathered a bundle of sticks, put them on the fire, and a viper, a viper, can you imagine this? A Dodge Viper (laughs) comes out of that fire. Talk about prophecy, right? A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. 
superstitious here, huh? Just deserts, karma. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Wow. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. Notice Luke is saying us. This is the eyewitness of this account. Luke, who wrote this whole book of Acts here. And notice again the detail that's being provided here. Be very careful that you don't get into, quote-unquote, lost gospels of Jesus and extra-biblical accounts that people say are the real story of what the life of Jesus was in the early church. Why do you want to read that stuff? It's questionable about whether it's even authentic, who the author was, whether it was made up. You don't know any of that stuff, whether that's true. We live in this X-Files world where people want to make things that are straightforward, more complicated than they are. We love conspiracy theories, and we love the what-ifs, and I wonder what, and we love to speculate. Listen, don't speculate about God. Don't speculate about your spiritual condition. Don't speculate about the what-ifs and the could-bes and the might and the wonder-ifs when you have the clear black-and-white teaching from God's Word from an eyewitness here and other eyewitnesses in the Bible. You want to know about the life of Jesus? Here it is in black and white. You want to know about the early church? Here it is in black and white by an eyewitness. You can believe somebody who's eating potato chips and sitting in their underwear blogging all day long if you want to. There are plenty of people out there pontificating about their story, about the the lost this, the lost that, and this fragment of this, and this fragment of that. Did you hear Jesus might have gone here? And you hear all these conspiracy theories that are nonsense. That's why they don't comprise the Bible. That's why they didn't make it into the Bible. They were either questionable about who the author was. We weren't sure that the author really was credible, or we weren't sure about the story. So they didn't make it into the canon of scripture. But here, look at the detail that's being provided, the specific island, all the detail that's provided, the name of the leader of the people and his father-in-law and what he was suffering from, the dysentery, he was sick. And we're seeing God show up through the apostle Paul. Paul just did what he did. Paul just did what he did. He was just being Paul. He wasn't just Paul. He was a man that God had gotten a hold of. He was a man who was honest with God. He was now living his life for Jesus. And he just, you know, I wonder what that was like. Gathering some sticks, putting them in the fire, and as he does that, this viper latches onto his hand, and Paul just shakes it off into the fire. Just another day for the Apostle Paul of living for Jesus, living his surrendered life. And as he's about God's business, God's taking care of his business. You know, it's an amazing thing that God has a way of doing. Just be about God's business, and he'll take care of your business. You don't see Paul freaking out. There's nothing here. Seems like he just nonchalantly, he trusts God. His hope was in God. He just suffered a shipwreck. You might want to think, this guy's saying, hey, they, you know, when am I going to get a break here? All this, and I've been beaten. I've been flogged. I'm on my way to going to Rome, and now 
I warned these guys not to get on this ship in the first place. They didn't listen to me. And now the shipwreck has happened. Now we're on this island and I'm cold. You know, at least the islanders have been nice to us. I'm gathering these sticks and then a, a, a viper latches onto my hand. When am I going to get a break? He just shakes it off into the fire. He's living his life for Jesus. And Jesus is taking care of Paul's life. And that's true in your life and mine. So many times we worry about the circumstances. We worry about, well, why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God do that? Listen, if it's happening to you, God has a purpose that's greater than what you're able to see right now. It has to go through God's approval in the first place. So if it's happening to you, God has a purpose that he's okay with, and you should be okay with it too. Remember, the objective of your life from God's perspective is not comfort and convenience. That's not the objective of the Christian life. And many in the United States, in the church, we drank the Kool-Aid and thought that, well, if I follow Jesus, I'll get all my needs and I'll even get all my wants met. I'll get the new Xbox, I'll get the new large flat screen TV, I'll get the new Dodge Viper, whatever it is, I'll get the new whatever it is, I'll get a a hot wife, maybe I'll get a hotter wife. A handsome hunk of a husband, I'll get the promotion, everything resolves nicely. And that's what Christianity has often become in the United States of America. And I would offer this, that's one of the reasons why Christianity is in such difficult trouble right now, such crisis mode right now in this country. Because it's no longer about the glory of God. I'm talking about Fake Christianity, not biblical Christianity. Fake Christianity is about me, myself, and I, and really Jesus is like a genie who has come down off the cross and can grant us all our wishes and our dreams come true. The whole objective in your life from God's perspective is to make you like Jesus in character. That's the purpose of your life. You want to know why you're here? You're here to be like Jesus, to become more like him in character, and to spread the aroma of Jesus wherever you go. Wherever God has placed you, the objective of your life is to shine and to be the light of Jesus wherever you go so that people might not come to church, but you need to bring the church to them. You have a church service at your place of work, church service in your neighborhood, church service in your family. Bring Jesus to them. And that's what Paul becomes. He becomes this tabernacle, this traveling tabernacle where the salt and light of Jesus is being spread wherever he goes, no matter what the circumstances. And he's such a great example. I mean, I would like to get some behind-the-scenes picture here. Well, what was Paul doing? Was he concerned? Was he hyperventilating? Did he just sit down then and just warm his hands over the fire? (sighs) Was he bleeding out of that viper wound? What kind of a viper was it? I'd like to know. Was it a six-inch viper? Was it a 12-inch viper? Was it longer? What was it? None of those details are provided because it almost seems as if it's, that's not really the issue. The issue is that God was showing up. And that's what will happen in your life too when you make it your ambition to live for Jesus. Jesus will live for you. He'll take care of you and help you do what? Live for his glory be a witness for Jesus. The great aim of the Holy Spirit is to make you like the Son, Jesus, in character, so that wherever you go, all around you there are opportunities to be salt and light. What does salt do? It permeates and changes the flavor of something that would be distasteful or bland. Our world is bland today. Can I get an amen for that? Our world is worse than bland today. It's distasteful. It needs flavoring. It needs the flavor of Jesus. Our world is dark today. It's very dark. It needs to see the light of Jesus. And that light is made possible when you get honest with God. You're transparent about who you really are, honest with other people. Honesty is so refreshing these days. It's so transformational. 
So what we're seeing here is God showing up through the Apostle Paul, and it results in other people, even though in this particular case it's a miraculous thing, it causes the other people to look at Paul and then to look at Jesus as a result of looking at Paul. Of course you're going to have a platform. Of course, everybody's got a platform. Some people have a smaller platform. Some people have a larger platform. It's not about the size of your platform. It's the ability of you to surrender to God. It's about you surrendering to God and saying, God, use my platform to point people to Jesus. Whether there are just a few people listening to you and watching you, believe me, somebody's always watching you. Might be a literary agent somewhere watching you. Somebody's always watching you. They're listening to you. They're hearing the words that come out of your mouth. They're seeing your behavior. And they will recognize when something counterintuitive happens. They will recognize when something that was supposed to have happened didn't happen. And they'll be drawn. And they'll want answers. And that's why God gives you a platform in the first place. When those unusual things happen, when those things that you didn't plan for in the course of your day happen, I'm sure that Paul just was looking to warm himself, not get bitten by a viper, and have it result in people getting healed and the gospel going forward. Life is what happens to us when we're making other plans. So you've got to be somebody who's carried along by God and that whether you're bitten by a viper or you're riding in a Dodge Viper, it doesn't matter. No matter what's happening in the course of your life, your life becomes about the glory of God. Your life is about looking for opportunities to just be transparent before God, transparent before people, and then transparency becomes transformational. So in verse 10, they honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Look at this. It's so amazing. Again, the detail. He's helping us understand what's on the front of that ship. The twin gods, the heads of twin gods. You know how they have different carvings on ancient ships. So he's providing great detail here. This is not in any way, shape, or form meant to be an allegory. It's not meant to be symbolism here. These are actual events that took place by a firsthand eyewitness. Verse 12, putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Figium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Pitoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. So what God promised Paul, you're going to go to Rome, has now finally come to reality. It's a great reminder for us that God says what he means, means what he says, delivers what he promises, keeps his word. You just need to make sure that what you're believing God for is based on his word. Don't put words in God's mouth. But here, God had spoken to Paul and told him, you're going to Rome, and now they arrived. Just not the way he had thought that they would arrive, but they arrived. Verse 15, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. All these specific places and landmarks are being noted here. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. 
After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and to speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel, meaning Jesus, that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against, meaning Christianity. And what a great reminder it is for us today in this day and age where we as believers, we're called haters, we're called bigots. There's a whole lot of reverse intolerance happening today. Tolerance is the big buzzword this day and age that we live. Everybody wants to be tolerant. Just accept people for who they are. Just embrace people for who they are. And everybody wants to talk about tolerance and they insist upon tolerance unless you're a Christian. And we don't want to tolerate you. We don't want to hear about this Jesus. We don't want to hear about the gospel. The more things change, the more they stay the same. And here's a great example of a man who had courage, the Apostle Paul, who was continuing to speak the truth in love. And God was using him at a day and an age where the tide was against Christians. And brothers and sisters, the tide is against Christians today. And we can learn a lesson from the Apostle Paul and the early believers that when the going gets rough, they don't sit down and shut up. They stand up and they speak out. Because this world, just like that world then, needs to hear the truth of the gospel, the truth about Jesus, and it needs to be transformed. And if that's going to happen, it's going to happen through you and through me. It's going to happen through you and through me. You are always God's plan A when it comes to sharing the gospel. Do you ever stop to think about that? We are, by some amazing, unlikely, humanly speaking, decision from God, God decided to use you as his spokesperson to share the gospel. With all of your junk in the trunk, with all of your baggage, with all of your past, God wants to change people's futures through how you're living your life, how you're standing up and speaking out as a result of being honest and surrendering to God. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him and his lodging in greater numbers. See how a platform leads to a larger platform? If you're faithful to Jesus in the smaller numbers and you're honest to him, God can find in you and he knows it already. But from our perspective, God can look at you and say, boy, you're being faithful with what I've given you. You're being transparent, you're being honest. I'm going to increase the audience that's listening to you going to increase the numbers of people somehow, even through a a chain. You know, you can share with one person, they can share with another, and before you know it, things spread further and further, and it's impossible to actually put things together. Billy Graham came to know Jesus on the last night of the last song and the last verse of that last song when Mordecai Ham was preaching. Billy Graham, his reputation has far eclipsed that of Mordecai Ham. You might be saying, Ham, it's about time for lunch right now, isn't it? We don't hear about Mordecai Ham nearly as much as we hear about Billy Graham. But you just don't know how your act of surrender, your transparency, your honesty in your workplace, in the neighborhood, could lead God to move through you 
to lead somebody else to Jesus, who might in turn lead somebody else to Jesus, who might lead somebody else to Jesus and somebody else. See, it's a movement, Christianity. We've done a great disservice by simply calling it one of the world's great religions. It's the greatest of all religions because it's a movement of God, courtesy from God. It's the true religion that doesn't come from man. It comes from God. So greater numbers come, verse 23, from morning till evening, he, Paul, expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Did that stop Paul? No. And disagreeing among ourselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. So Paul was not afraid to stand up and speak out and to tell people, the truth. Here's what he said, and this is what causes people to leave. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. That's what Paul says. He speaks the truth. It gets recorded here in scripture, and the truth is divisive. Listen, stop thinking that the truth is going to get everybody to join the Kumbaya Club. The truth is divisive, but the truth is the truth. And the most loving thing you can do to people is tell them the truth. The most hateful thing. You want to talk about being a hater? You will be a hater if you know what the truth is and you withhold it from people. You know the truth. Jesus is the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anyone on the side of truth, Jesus said and still says, listens to me. If you're a follower of Jesus, follow Jesus. Speak the truth. Do it in love. The world needs to hear the truth. When you withhold the truth that you already know, you're actually acting like a hater toward whoever it is that needs to hear it, and you're not telling them. The truth is what sets people free. You shall know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. If you love people, do all you can to set them free. Tell them the truth. Trust God, leave the consequences with him. God has not called you to be popular. He's called you to be faithful. If Paul was interested in being popular, he would have never spoken the truth right here that caused people to leave. Don't be concerned about people staying and continuing. Leave the consequences to God. Speak the truth. The world needs to hear the truth. The world is in bondage. People at your workplace are in bondage. People in your neighborhood are in bondage. People in your family are in bondage. And you need to love them by speaking the truth to them and leaving the consequences to God. Paul is a great example of being led by the Spirit, being transparent, being honest, doing what he does telling people about Jesus. And in the course of being honest to God and honest before people, God is showing up. And one of the ways that God shows up is by people rejecting the message. That's why I say, trust God, leave the consequences to him. God has not called you to be popular. He's called you to be faithful. When you're faithful to God, you'll be popular with the people that God wants you to be popular with. And God will give you that platform that he determined for you to have. You simply need to be faithful. Christianity is about being faithful to Jesus regardless of what the consequences are. And Paul is a great example of being filled with, led by the Holy Spirit. A great example for us, not an exception, an example for us to follow today. Verse 28, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that, my friends, concludes the amazing, marvelous book of examples, the book 
of Acts, and it shows us how Christians live. Speaking about how Christians live, I was 17 years old when I was at Warren Hills Regional Senior High School in Washington, New Jersey. And I was in the fall of my senior year, and I was one of the editors of our yearbook, and I was struggling significantly in calculus. I struggled in Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Geometry, Trigonometry, and Calculus. It was like hell on earth. If it's possible, math is that for me. I have a hard time adding and subtracting to this day, all right? So I was always staying after for help in calculus or to work on the yearbook. Well, it just so happened that the same person who was my calculus teacher, Dave Nace, was also the advisor, the teacher advisor, the faculty advisor for the yearbook. So I had to get a lot of time with Dave Nace, mostly for math and sometimes for the yearbook. And I noticed that as I was in this small room that we would use for the yearbook to do the editing, and that's where Dave Nace would do his tutoring for students in calculus, a line probably outside the door, students like me, he would have opportunity to share the gospel with my classmates. And he would do that. He would share the gospel. And I was raised Roman Catholic. And so I knew a lot about the Bible. I'd heard a lot about the Bible, but it was out there for me. Nobody had actually sat down with me and said, listen, it's not by works that you get saved. It's by faith, by grace through God. It's undeserved favor. That's how you get saved. So I would work on calculus or work on the yearbook, and I probably looked like I wasn't paying attention at all, but you better believe I was paying attention. I think God used calculus to get me into that room. Amen. You want to talk about persecution for the sake of Jesus. You want to talk about hardship. <laughs> and I'd be in that room, and I'd be listening to what Dave would be saying just within you know, earshot to other classmates who had questions about the Bible, questions about Jesus. And after several days of that it became not about calculus, not about the yearbook. It became about God. And I began to have discussions with Dave. Of course, I wanted to make sure that nobody else was around. So it was just Dave Nace and me. And I began to ask him questions about the Bible. And he began to share the gospel with me. And over a period of three days, I remember it very clearly. He said to me, listen, it's either by works that you're saved or it's by grace, undeserved favor, by faith in the person and the finished work of Jesus. And after three days, he said to me, that's it. I've shared enough with you. You need to make a decision. What? You need to make a decision about Jesus. And I went home. And over three days, I tried to be a better person. And I realized that the more I tried to be a better person, the more I became conscious of sin that I didn't even know existed in my life. And I became miserable. And it was in the bedroom of our house on the little farm at where I lived where I finally surrendered my life to Jesus and said, Jesus, come in. It's not by works. I can't save myself. I need you to save me. It's through undeserved favor, grace, that I can be saved. And I accepted Jesus. I remember I did it three times that night because I wanted to make sure. But that began a journey for me that was a little bit rocky. It's not like I accepted Christ and all of a sudden, instantaneously, my life was dramatically changed. I struggled through my freshman year of college, struggled through my sophomore year. By the junior year of college, I became president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship on my campus at Rutgers University. And then I had more stumbling and more struggles, but it was not because of what I was doing for God. It was what God was working in me, despite me. If I've learned one lesson about God, it's this. It's not what I promised to do for God that made a difference in my life. It's not. It's what God promised to do for me 
and what he's promised to do for you that makes a difference. Philippians 1.6, being certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know what my life would be like if it wasn't for one teacher at Warren Hills Regional Senior High School, Dave Nace, and a tremendous struggle with calculus. I don't know what my life would be like if that teacher hadn't been humble enough and honest with God and honest with himself and willing to be honest with a student to share the gospel with me, who ironically, isn't this funny? I'm now a pastor. Unbelievable. You know what's really amazing today? That Dave Nace and his wife Elaine are actually here right now in our midst. And I'd like to introduce you to my friend, the man who led me to Christ, Dave Nace. What a kicker, huh? You've heard me talk about Dave Nace before, and now here he is in the flesh. I'll tell you what, if ever a man walked with Jesus, it's Dave Nace. If it were not for him being willing to stand up and speak out in the public school, I didn't go to private school, I wouldn't have gotten saved. I wouldn't have become a pastor. You would not have been hearing the kinds of things that we've been able to hear together and go on this journey together. I wouldn't have written a book. And many of you are now reading and other people are reading. And who knows the consequences and the ripple effects of that. And I wanted to introduce Dave Nace to you. Would you welcome him again as we talk a little bit? You embarrass me. (laughs) This man is a humble hero, and I wanted you to see what one looks like. Dave, tell him how bad I was as a high school student, at least in calculus. To be honest with you, Mike, I don't remember. He doesn't remember. (laughs) You know, uh, I'm not the only person that you led to Christ in high school. You led many people to Christ. And even those you didn't lead to Christ, you had a tremendously positive witness for them. And we've stayed in contact through the years. I want you to tell our people what it takes to share the gospel with other people. What does it take to share the gospel and tell people about Jesus? Good question. <laughs> a number of years ago, I read a book by John White called The Fight. And I don't remember too much about it except for one sentence he said. He said that people say, you know, it's hard to witness. And he said, I claim it's impossible not to witness if we are honest. And he said, you don't even have to be completely honest. If you're just partially honest, it's impossible to not witness to other people. To share what God has done in your life, uh, what you've seen Jesus do, who Jesus is, and what he can do in someone else's life. And uh, part of the problem is uh, we simply aren't honest. Uh, we, people ask us about you know, what's going on, and uh, we tell them what they want to hear rather than tell them what the truth is. And uh, so I'd say that's probably being honest uh, of what God has done and what he's doing and uh, what he wants to do. Now, the climate in the school systems today is very different than back then. You I'd probably, probably be fired. You probably wouldn't have <laughs> been fired. Probably would have. But last night we had dinner together, and you might have been fired for some other things based yeah, on what you true, told me. Yeah. I don't know. Um, he was quite the uh, prankster, quite the prankster. What would you say to somebody today who's in a hostile environment in their workplace? Uh, maybe we have public school teachers here. 
And it, there might be consequences to being honest, to being transparent about Jesus and the gospel. What would you say to people? I think we need to be wise and not go out of our way to cause problems. Uh, for example, in the classroom, I was very careful, even in a fairly good environment, to not use my position in front of the class to uh, indoctrinate people. Uh, if there was somebody of a different religion that was up front, I wouldn't want them doing it, so I didn't do it either. I think uh, we need to be wise in terms of putting ourselves in a position where people are asking what's different. Uh, you know, why do you operate the way you do? That they see a difference in your life. As they come to you and seek you, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't respond honestly to them as to what's going on. Mm. Uh, in a hostile environment, there are times that you have to stand up what's right. I, you know, thinking, talking about courage and courage is doing what's right despite the consequences. And uh, there are times that uh, you simply have to say no to things or yes to other things because it's right and uh, you don't worry about the consequences. Mm. You leave those in God's hands. Mm. Very good. What's, um... Hi. I'm, I'm getting better response than I ever do in calculus. Uh. <laughs> you want to come back and preach next Sunday? Sure. Okay. <laughs> what about, can you make a distinction between, um, I, remember, I, I still remember things that he said right there in the publications room where we were. One of the things you said to me was, Christianity is different than all other religions. All other religions are man reaching out to God. Christianity is God reaching out to man. What do you have to say about that? How would you de describe, I remember that from, Three years ago when I graduated from high school. Yeah, I was only 43 years ago. C.S. <laughs> Lewis uh, came into a group of theologians that were discussing uh, what's the difference between Christianity and other religions. And they talked about resurrection, they talked about uh, Jesus dying, things like that. And they questioned him and said, what's different? And he says, grace. Is grace. Every religion is man works. It's a, I teach a course called Gospel Transformation. And one of my favorite expressions in that is that in everybody is under unlimited obligation to perform unless you're in Christ. If you are trying to get right with God by your works, you have an unlimited obligation to perform. You always have to perform. You can never let up on that. You're always doing, always trying to measure up. And Christianity has nothing to do with measuring up because Christ is the one that measured up. It has to do with allowing him to be the one to come into your life and change you and make you acceptable to God. Uh, one of the things we talk about in gospel transformation is justification. And the definition we use for that is, I am completely forgiven, I've been declared completely righteous, and it's received by faith. And that's what Christ did on the cross. He justified me. My sins are forgiven. I don't have to atone for them. I don't have to do anything to make up for them. All I need is repent and trust Christ. And then I'm, people like to say, then my slate is clean. It's not clean. I taught school for 35 years. Every morning, the blackboards were beautiful. By the end of first period, they were dirty. And that's what happens with clean slates. We don't get a clean slate, we get a whole new life, and that's a righteous life that is Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way we live. Fantastic. Thank you, David.
Anything else you want to say? Final words, anything else you want to say? Just that, you know, Mike asked, he told you what happened, and he asked me about last night, and I can remember talking with him in the publications room, but I have no idea what I said. I cannot remember a thing about it. Uh, but that's okay, because God used it. Mm-hmm. And even though at the time I had no idea what would happen, I had no idea what the outcome was, God used it. This is what he's done. And yeah. uh, he's done a pretty good job, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the only problem is you still have trouble with math. That's, I still that's have right. trouble with math. <laughs> awesome. Listen, live stream audience, wherever you are, live audience, whoever you are, He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until the day God cracks the sky and Jesus returns. Be faithful, trust God, leave the consequences to him. Don't say that you're insignificant and you don't have something to offer God wherever God has put you. Be faithful, trust him, and let the life of Jesus flow through you. Be honest to God, honest with yourself, and honest with other people, and God will use you. And who knows what the ripple effects might be. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit couragematters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.